It is good to see each of you here tonight. There are folks here from a lot of places where I've had the privilege to preach in meetings, and I certainly appreciate your coming tonight. And I'm thankful for each one of you from the Fountainhead Church that's here tonight, especially these young folks and any of them sitting up toward the front. I appreciate that. A trial was going on in this certain town, and an older lady who had lived there all of her life was called as a witness. And the prosecuting attorney said to her, Ma'am, do you know me? She said, Yes, I know you. You're a liar and a cheat and a thief and run around on your wife. He sort of swallowed and said, Do you know the defense attorney? She said, Yes, I know him. He's worse than you are. Judge said, Would you attorneys approach the bench? They came up. He said, If either one of you ask her if she knows me, I'll prosecute both of you. So sometimes it may be best not to be known. Another one I like along that line, a lady came in at the back of the church building, and an usher was standing there, and she said, I'd like to sit toward the front. He said, ma'am, you don't want to sit up toward the front. Our preacher's long-winded and dry. She said, do you know who I am? He said, no. She said, I'm the preacher's mother. He said, do you know who I am? She said, no. He said, thank goodness, and walked away. So sometimes it may be best not to be known, but you know it is good to know each other and to let people know we appreciate them coming. There was a lady in this congregation by the name of Gladys Dunn. She tried to speak to every visitor. One Sunday she'd come up and sat down. She looked back and a man had come in at the back who she'd not seen. So as soon as the service was over in which the preacher had preached an extremely long sermon... She rushed back there to meet him. She walked up and she said, I'm glad it's done. He said, I'm glad it's done too. <laughs> so I try to get through before you are glad it's done. I do appreciate your being here and I appreciate the opportunity to preach God's word. We're talking about heroes of faith. God expects us to be faithful as stewards. 1 Corinthians 4.2 To be faithful until and unto death. Revelation 2 and verse 20. We talked about the problem solver. We talked about the common man and his faith. We talked about the man after God's own heart. We talked about the unusual couple, always mentioned together. Tomorrow night we'll talk about the doubter, and that's Thomas. We'll talk about the reluctant dipper, and that's Naaman. And then the last night, we'll talk about the man who walked with God, that's Enoch, and two apostles alike but different, Peter and Judas. Tonight, in the first lesson, we're talking about the seeker. Over the years, I've developed two lessons that either one of them could have been used at this point tonight. The other one is on the Ethiopian eunuch, who was seeking the truth and was taught the truth. But tonight we're centering around the first Gentile convert recorded in the 10th chapter of Acts and then reported about in the 11th chapter of Acts as Peter was telling others about what he had done at the household of Cornelius. Think about the word seek. Ask and ye shall receive, knock and it shall be opened unto you, Matthew 7, 7. I just quoted the first part of the verse and the last part of the verse and left out the middle part. 
And I think that's what some people do today. They say, all you've got to do is just ask God, and He'll take care of it. All you've got to do is knock, and He'll open unto you everything that needs to be opened. But there's a third point made in the middle of those two, and that third point is seek, and ye shall find. Yes, ask, and you'll receive. Yes, knock, and it'll be opened. But seek, and ye shall find. In Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things shall be added unto you. Seek, put forth some effort. The promise there is that our needs will be met. And the description in the verses just before that's talking about food and raiment and things like that. He said, you seek the first the kingdom of God, and these things are going to be added to you. But he said, seek. There's something you need to do. In Colossians 3, verse 1, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. For Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. The next verse says, set your affection on things that are above. In other words, what do you really love? What do you really want in life? What are you seeking in life? That's a very important question. Not long ago, I had an opportunity to speak in chapel to the student body at Fried Hardeman. I get to do that sometimes two or three times a year. And I spoke that morning for just about six minutes. We're allowed 12 minutes, but I learned a long time ago, if I speak about six, the students like me, whether I say anything or not. So I spoke about six minutes to them, and I said, I want to tell you this morning what is the most important thing, most important concept in your life as you think about your studies and you think about your school. And it's not just what God thinks about you, and it's not what your parents think about you, and it's not what your friends think about you. It's what you think about yourself. Your parents sent you to school wanting you to be a success. Your friends are encouraging you. Your teachers are trying to help you. All of these, but what's going to make the difference is what do you want? What do you really want while you're at school here at Freed Hardeman? Young people especially, listen to me. What do you want out of life? You have a pretty good idea what God wants for you. You have a pretty good idea what your parents and friends want for you. But what do you want? What are you seeking? For what are you looking Generally, we will be able to find about that for which we're looking. Not in a perfect way, but generally speaking, we will find in life what we want to find. What are you seeking? Let me share with you some things that Cornelius was seeking. As we begin reading here in chapter 10 of Acts, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, 
gave much alms or benevolent needs to the people, and he prayed to God always. It's sort of hard to realize that I have just described a man who was not a Christian. He didn't know about Christ at this point. But there is indicated in that verse that for which he was seeking. Number one, he was a seeker of righteousness. He was a devout man. He wanted to do what was right. He would have been that kind of person who in facing a decision would have asked himself, what's the right way and what's the wrong way? When he came to a forks of a road, he would, have to, he would have stopped and said, which way is the best way to go? Which way is the right way to go? Or if he was going to a certain place, which way is the only way to go? He was a seeker of righteousness. He wanted to do what was right. One of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 is, verse 6, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Sometimes we preachers have, I think, misused that verse by limiting it to one idea. We've said that means if you really want to learn the Bible, you will. Hunger and thirst after the Bible. Well, certainly that's included, and that idea is wonderful. That's not what the verse says. Blessed is the man that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. In other words, he seeks to do what's right. And the promise that goes along with that in that verse is, he shall be filled. I understand that to mean if you really, really want to do what's right and you're seeking to do what's right, (laughs) that God will help you to determine the right way to go. In the second place, he was a seeker of opportunity. He gave much alms to the people. We've already emphasized the importance of giving over receiving in some of the previous lessons. But Cornelius was a man who would have gone out each day with his eyes open to the needs of those around him and the opportunities that would be presented to him. I have tried to develop down through the years a little motto to use in my relationship with other people in the form of a three-word question that I ask many times. May I help? And if you confront someone who really is not your friend and doesn't think too highly of you with the attitude of, may I help, or you've said it in other ways, is there anything I can do, or call me if there's anything I can do, and don't say that unless you mean it. You are approaching life like Cornelius did. It's apparent as we see what's said here that he lived seeking opportunity to do something for someone else. If you get to feeling blue and discouraged and almost depressed, get up and do something for somebody quickly. 
Some people would expect me to say there, get somebody to help you and do something for you. No. If you really get down in life, look for something that you can do. There's where the blessing is. And you get more out of doing something for someone, seeking opportunities to do good for others, than you do what's done for you. Let me give you a proof. Watch the grandparents at the Christmas tree when the grandchild's opening the gift that the grandparents brought. Who gets the most good out of it? The child, especially if it's a younger child, will probably open the gift and maybe throw it over on the side to see what this next gift is. Grandpa and Grandma are sitting there. That's the one I gave them. They're the ones who get the joy out of it, the real joy. And it is going to change your life. If you will approach it with the attitude of, may I help? Is there something I can do? I try to pray to God every day to give me an opportunity to do something for someone else. Some days he's pretty generous in giving me the opportunities. But folks, that's what life is about. I think the greatest statement that's used in the Bible to describe the life of Christ is in Acts where he says he went about doing good. In fact, it's in this same chapter where Cornelius is being taught. Christ went about doing good. What was Christ doing? He was seeking opportunity to help others. Number three, Cornelius was a seeker of God. He didn't understand God's situation completely when we're introduced to him. He did not know about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, at this point. But he believed in God, and it said he prayed to God. Now, we talk about whether or not God will hear a sinner's prayer. He will not hear a sinner's prayer who's praying for direct salvation. But God is aware of what everybody says. And there's evidence in this case and others that when a man who was not a Christian wanted to know the truth and prayed and asked God to learn the truth, that God did answer in some ways. God will never answer a prayer that's not according to his will. But here Cornelius, who was not a Christian, prayed to God, and you get the idea that he prayed to God regularly because it says he prayed to God always. He was a seeker of what God wanted him to do. But also, he was a seeker of instruction. As we read a little bit later in this chapter, when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? Verse 3 said he saw in a vision of God, angel of God coming to him. What is it, Lord? He said, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for me moral before God, which proves that God did hear them in that way. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Cornelius, send and get this man, and he will instruct you. 
the next verse. When the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and devout soldiers of them that waited on him continually. When he declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. God's angel said, Cornelius, you need some instruction. Here's what I want you to do. Immediately, Cornelius went about it. He wanted to know what the instruction was. And let me point out something in passing here. Although there are miraculous events that happen in the book of Acts relative to the times of conversion, one of them, in fact two of them here, he appeared to Cornelius and he also appeared to Peter, telling him what to do. There is never a case where the teaching was done miraculously. The angel that came to Cornelius didn't teach him what to do to be a Christian. He said, you send and get this man, and he'll tell you what you need to do. And you just study every case in the book of Acts, even in Acts 2. There was the miraculous baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit that got the attention of the people. But Peter stood up with the rest of the apostles and taught them. There was the earthquake that happened with the Philippian jailer, but when it came to what to do to be saved, they taught him what he needed to know. And so Cornelius was, an, was a seeker of instruction. He was ready to listen. I believe I can take the Bible and teach anyone what to do to be a Christian if he's willing to listen to God's Word. And I'm going to guarantee you that you will have the opportunity to learn the truth if you are a seeker of instruction. And you will listen to that which is being said. And that brings on what's perhaps a twin to that point. He was a seeker of the truth. He wasn't just seeking what some man said about it. He wanted to know the truth. And let me show you that particularly. When you get down to verse 33 of this chapter, when Peter had come, immediately therefore Cornelius speaking, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Cornelius said, Peter, tell me the truth. Tell me what I need to know. Whether it's what I've been doing or not, tell me what I need to know. We're here before God to listen, and we want you to tell us what God wants you to tell us. We want to know what the truth is. We need to be seekers of the truth. We need to be like those in, Thessal in Berea who are said to be more noble than those in Thessalonica. In that they received the word with all readiness of mind, that's listening, and they searched the Scriptures daily whether these things were so. Searched, that's a form of seek. Cornelius was a seeker of the truth. And Cornelius was a seeker of action. If you started at the 44th verse in the 10th chapter and read on down into the 11th chapter, you'll find... Peter saying what's happening today is the same thing that happened to, to us at Pentecost 
And he's referring there in the sense that it happened to the Jews back then and to the Gentiles now. And it goes ahead in verse 47. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Spirit as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, then prayed that, that he, with him to tarry certain days. And he goes on in the 11th chapter and explains what they did. Here's a man who probably had never heard of the subject of baptism before. Possibly he had heard of John's baptism in some way. No indication one way or the other. Here is a man who is living a good moral life. And like some you and I know might have said, I'm doing everything I need to do. I'm a good man. I treat my soldiers right. I treat my family right. But Cornelius was a seeker. A seeker of God. A seeker of knowledge. A seeker of truth. And a seeker of action. And I say to you tonight what I said to that student body at Fried Hardeman not long ago. What really matters, maybe more than anything else, is what you want out of life. What do you want? For what are you seeking? For what are you looking? It's not just to convince someone to come and be baptized or to come and be restored. What do you want for your life, for yourself, and for those that you will influence? Cornelius, to me, was a hero of faith. He was already a believer in God. He didn't know all the truth, but he was seeking to know what was right. God allowed him to learn what was right, and when he learned what he needed to do, he did it immediately. And I'll almost guarantee you that there will not be a person leave this building tonight in a lost condition if every person here is really seeking to do what's right in the sight of God. It's not based on what the preacher is saying. It's not based upon what others want. It's based on what are you seeking. What do you want for yourself, spiritually speaking? That's the seeking that we're talking about. And I hope when we sing the invitation song at the end of the second lesson that you will... Come to Christ if you're seeking Him and you're not right with Him. But before that lesson, let's stand and sing the song.